Welcome to Help from Future Self. Howdy, Archons, and welcome to another episode of Help from Future Self, the conversational Keyforge podcast by and for Keyforge friends all around this great big world of ours. I am your Keyforge friend. My name is Alex, but I am also called Scuzzy Gruen in the context of Keyforge, and I'm joined by two very good Keyforge friends of mine. We've got Boulevard Blake. Hey, hey, what's going on? Not too much, buddy. And S.E. Steele. Hello, hello. Hey, uh, so good to be here and to be doing yet another one of our house breakdowns. If you've been listening to the podcast for the last couple months, you know that when we first got wind, if you will, of Winds of Exchange, the who knows when it's going to come out, new Keyforge set, hopefully sometime in 2022, but we don't have any real information on that. One of the things that we noted was that some of the houses that were long running were going to be leaving the game. That led us to do sort of a house breakdown historically for each of those houses, and we had such a good time doing it that we thought we would apply it to all the houses, even those that um, have already been cycled out, and we don't know when they're going to be coming back. And it's time for Dis's turn, one of the most powerful houses in the history of Keyforge, very dominant and part of uh, many, many uh, winning decks over the course of Keyforge history. If you look at Vault Tour results and so on and so forth, lots of cards that were big difference makers and lots of archetypes based around those cards. I'm excited for this conversation. How about y'all? Oh, yeah. Yep. I really like this house. So, Sydney, why don't you start us off by telling us a little bit about a, sort of an overview of Dis as a house. What's Dis's bag, if you will? So, one thing that has been the same throughout all of the house or all of the sets is that Dis is like the dark and scary house. It's the the mean house. Everything about it is creepy or fear-inducing. So, like art-wise, like the think demons or creepy faces or dark caves or corners and and like mechanics wise lots of control and disruption so things that make a very interactive game so it's the opposite of like your untamed solitaire race to the end and much more of a i am going to control or change what you are able to do on your next turn. So there's a lot of hurting your opponent or hurting the opposing creatures, and, and that's been true throughout all the, the sets. Indeed, they are very much the control house or the disruption house. That's been very much their reputation. And uh, they've had tons of great destruction. They've had tons of ways to really mess with your opponent, as you said. But I did want to highlight one thing you said there. Uh, specifically, their dark, creepy, demonic artwork <laughs> has certainly been one of their 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 things that you you know associate with them. But one of the things that I genuinely love about Dis is that the color scheme they picked for them isn't all yes. like blacks and browns and like hellish reds. That the sort of magenta pink purple mm -hmm. scheme right? that they use for them, I always thought was really cool because it didn't make them Agreed. look sort of like a typical representation of what those things might be in other games. It has its own unique flavor, which is really cool. Like, like the if this scariest... was magic, it would be black. All the mm -hmm. cards would just be the black house. The scariest card in the game has a pink and purple monkey on it. <laughs> 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 Absolutely yeah. true. Why don't we get into it by talking about Dis in Coda? 
definitely top three most powerful houses in DIS. I think if you look at the decks that were truly dominant, you would see a ton of DIS along with Shadows, Untamed, and uh, of course Logos. They were just so good at doing the things that DIS is known for doing. If we want to break it down by types of cards, let's look at the creatures. So along with having really good Amber Control in the form of cards like uh, Charette, like one of the original good easy Amber Control cards, throw it down, captures three, no issues. Drumble, if your opponent has seven or more, capture all of it, fantastic. Not to mention that you also had things like Ember Imp that were great on disruption. Um, mm-hmm. uh, Succubus, during their draw card step, your opponent refills their hand to one less card. Uh, Toxin, uh, you know, Reap, your opponent discards a random card for their hand. Fantastic disruption that messes with your opponent's turn, makes it less efficient turn-wise. Um, they also had decent uh, artifact control amongst their creatures because you had things like Snudge, you had things like Tentacus that kept you from actually being able to use your artifacts as efficiently as you might like or returning them to your hand. Um, Snudge also allowing you to disrupt creatures. And we cannot, of course, forget about Restring Guntis, the original lockout yeah, creature. Not the to mention Poltergeist. Yeah, when we get into the action, certainly. So I, I feel like Creature-wise, they were really well set. Um, Pretty much all of the creatures had some pretty cool stuff going on with them. There's not a lot of duds in there. I think the Master 1, Master 2, Master of 3 are cool in that they're sort of the original procedural um, creatures that could be a variation thereon. But I never really got a whole ton of use out of them. But things like Pit Demon with Stealing, uh, things like Overlord Grecking and so forth, always I found that the decks they were in, I would get some value out of them. And what was really wild about it was that there was lots of ways to recur them, including Arise, a card that appeared at common in Dis in the Coda era. Choose a house, return each creature of that house from your discard pile to your hand, gain one chain. One chain was the cheapest price humanly imaginable to be able to recur all of your creatures of one house, especially if you're playing Dis, you could have put out all these cards that would have messed with your opponent, that would have captured their amber, that would have prevented them from being able to do uh, what they want wanted to do and then as they slowly eliminated them you can play a rise near the end of your deck and bring every single one of them back to your hand for a monster dis turn following it was disgusting we saw a lot of arise decks but uh, that's certainly not where the actions begin and end with coda because you we had your favorite creature the- alex oh tolis i didn't even want yeah. to bring him up <laughs> I thought that's the whole reason why you chose Kodo, for a little Tolis bashing. You know you got to get those shots in when you can. Matt, I hate that card. It's no good. <laughs> let's let's quickly go over Tolis, just uh, because Blake is right. One of my most hated cards in the entire game, Tolis. Elusive. The first time, uh, Each time a creature is destroyed, its opponent gains one. Unless you already have a board full of, of disc creatures that are ready to rumble, when you put down Tolis, it is essentially giving your opponent first go at getting advantage out of Tolis. So really, Tolis is only good if you can take it, put it down, get some value out of it, and then hopefully take it off the board before your opponent gets value out of it. And I found that never, ever happened. I hate Tolis. <laughs> Also, the fact that Tolis was a uh, rare, and I seemed to get him in like every disc deck for a while, was very strange. But if we're talking about actions, who could forget about Control the Weak, a card that you get an Amber for? Let's just remember that you get a pip of Amber for playing, and then that lets you choose what house your opponent is going to play next turn. So many games won and lost 
by people looking at their opponent's decks, knowing that what they had was, all right, maybe my opponent has a key cheat and I'm like, they're likely to have it in hand. Well, I'm going to pick a house that doesn't have that key cheat in it. Or they're playing shadows and using that for amber control on me. I'm going to pick a house that isn't shadows. There were so many ways you could use control the week to mess with people. And because control the week was printed at common, there were so many decks that had multiple controls the weeks. It was insane that this card happened the way or occurred the way that it did. And it was not uncommon to see decks that had three control the weeks. I've seen decks that had, I believe four unless i'm mistaken but uh you know there was also plenty of great destruction in the form of gateway to dis and hand of dis fear that allowed you to bounce people's creatures back to their uh hands hysteria um and of course great uh, artifact control as you mentioned blake in the form of poltergeist um I will say that there are kind of some dud actions in here. I found that Key Hammer was actually not that useful unless people misplayed it. Um, Gongoozleism. Yeah, exactly. Gongoozle is not totally fantastic. Um, I do like Mind Barb, though. That one's pretty excellent. But, uh, you know, a fair game and stuff like that, I never really got, you know, the, the oh, real super sort fun. Of, yeah. It was definitely a risk reward kind of card. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's one of those ones that you play, and it's not like always going to be tactically advantageous for you to play it, but it's fun to play. Um, if we're then going to quickly, it's not really worth talking about upgrades because there isn't really a lot of them, but a quick note on how good some of the artifacts were uh, from the Coda era. Lash of Broken Dreams, an absolute staple that was the original key cost control, key to disc that allow you to throw down a, an artifact and then be able to save for a non-disc turn to get that board clear. Library of the Damned for archiving, which is absolutely fantastic. Decks that had multiple Library of the Damned could save up some really amazing turns. And Dominator Bobble, which let you do so much because it's action use a friendly creature, not just a disc creature or not just an out-of-disc creature. So lots of fun stuff you could do with it also a really big fan of life ward which uh if you combined it with uh, the board clears that were in disc could really mess up your opponent's turns big fan of a disc in this era i'm adding screaming cave to that list simply because the control the weak decks only got sicker if they had a screaming cave and they kept bringing those babies back Mm -hmm. you're absolutely correct screaming cave is a uh, that is a skill test card though because if you're playing with somebody who's unfamiliar with screaming cave i find that they would often over shuffle their deck and then like keep putting cards that they'd already burnt through back to uh, and prevent them from getting to some of their other gold it's a great uh, adaptive card mm -hmm, totally 100 percent. but we did see some changes in aoa sydney why don't you run those down for us so i will say so hot take here Relative to the other houses, I don't think Disc got weaker in AOA. Mm-hmm. But overall, compared to Coda, the the fire the fire was was turned down a little bit. So I'm I'm gonna start with some of the some of the bangers that didn't come back were some of the ones that you mentioned that were just the the hard hitters in Coda, like Arise, Control the Weak, Succubus, uh, Screaming Cave didn't come back, even even Gateway, the the board clear. A lot of those cards got weaker versions in AOA because they they were able to do the same things, but they came with a contingency or a cost. So um, just going going down my list here, there were there were so many pips on the actions though that I, I have to give them credit for for upping the amber that you got, the raw amber you got from playing these cards. But one of one of my favorites is um, from AOA was Binding Irons because that was the introduction of 
the most chains that you had ever seen from one card before. And also just because it was just chains, it really introduced it as a mechanic that was something that could be manipulated and not just like a consequence or even outside the game. You know, you got chains if if your uh, deck power level was super high. Um, but other other actions, uh, exhum, getting, getting creatures from the discard so pile that was a, uh, basically the version of a rise that was just a little bit weaker. Um, and then for, for creatures, they ended up throwing more imps on the pile. And there was, there was lots of creature hate and forge hate. And they were really just trying to get the, the opponent hate out there while, while keeping the power level a little lower. Like I, I personally was never able to get, uh, Ortanu the chained. I was never able to get, uh, him off with a, any, you know, any positive, you know, results. He just kept getting himself um, and, and hurting my own deck more than than the opponent. Um, and then, so the the artifacts are <laughs> hilariously bad. They are like epically bad yep. in AOA. <laughs> so I, I cannot not mention Wretched Doll. It is simply Wretched. the. Yeah, it is. It is wretched. It's probably the worst artifact in the game. Let me let me read it. Action: If there is a doom counter in play, destroy each creature with a doom counter. Otherwise, put a doom counter on a creature. So I personally oh, that stun a giant one, whatever that one gigantic is, whatever it's called. That's you a, know uh-huh. the one. Like, but yes, yes, that one is really bad. <laughs> Nepetica gigantica. That one's stupid too. Yeah, that is that is to me the worst one, but Wretched Doll would certainly be in the conversation. Well, see, even with like the Doom counter, I was hoping that the mechanic of Doom would like be something or do something or like go somewhere, but like it even like the card itself even what existed in in future sets, yet Doom came like amounted to nothing. And the way that it's worded, like it's it's it gives it's a vague enough that there's room for there being more doom counters on things, but no other cards put doom counters on things. So it just, it, sim- it fell short in every way. The only thing it, it did that benefited the deck was it stayed on the board so you didn't have to reshuffle it. But um, some some of the, the good uh, artifacts from Coda did stick around. Um, so there, there was Soul Snatcher and uh, Life Ward was there too, and Key to Dis. So there were some that, and Lash, but there, there were the actual like heft of the artifacts in AOA came from Coda. Um, and oddly enough, there was only one new uh, upgrade in AOA, and that was that was Soul Keeper. But that was it was actually it's a it's a pretty good card, but it is very combo heavy. I feel like mm, it yeah. wouldn't really do well outside of like having something else to use it with. But um, shout out to Coda, the other uh, upgrade in AOA, Color of Subordination. You control this creature outside of Mars. I'm pretty sure at the time it was. Oh wait, no. Um, there was also one in Logos, but in general, like controlling an opponent's creature was was a pretty good power to have. So like I said, I feel like relative to the other houses, Dis kept its muster, but compared to Coda, it just it just fell down a, a well. Yeah, as many houses did in that era. I just want to take a moment to say that Exhum is low-key like one of the absolute best cards ever printed in the game. I love Exhum. Yeah, and it it's doesn't fantastic. feel OP. That's the thing. It's one of the most like it's like a it feels balanced. You don't feel you never feel like it's OP when someone uses Exhum. It's just acknowledged it's a great card. It's not overpowered. It just does what it's supposed to do very efficiently and effectively. And the and amber you get a pimp. pimp of amber. Yeah, right? Yeah, exactly. One thing I wanted to, to like looking at this list, I I feel like 
the, and this I feel is the issue with AOA. It's almost like the way the algorithm was told to create decks in AOA made decks not as quality as they could be because you look at the cards like wow these are so good but in the end the the average deck had stuff that was just like why is this in here type of thing where Mm -hmm. that's why you see aoa decks that are really good and there's really fun aoa decks now that time has gone by and a lot has been opened but on average when you're opening like anyone who bought into any of the sales that have happened knows that like when you open a display there's a chance that you don't have a single like viable deck that's like okay, this is like a really actually good deck. They're all very like average decks that have really mm-hmm. neat things or fun, but like there's always a house or two that's just clogged with these cards that you're like, but why? Why does these need to be together? If we had other things that compose the decks up more consistently, I think it would have been a lot better as a set because they had the cards, they just didn't show up. I think the set was also watered down by worse cards. So like all of the Yerks, yeah. like nobody was happy to see I any of them. those or the, the Scullions. Blake was apparently. <laughs> I love the Yerks. I really do. I find, you know, I think I like them is because that whole topic about there are some cards that aren't great. So it allowed you to not have to deal with those cards when you were about to go into another house and potentially draw into more. So I like them for the cycle mechanic. You just had to be kind of ruthless with your hands sometimes and just You're really right. weigh so the, the cost benefit. The Yerks were good because there was other garbage that then the Yerk were able to burn. Yeah. That makes sense. Like if it existed in Coda, the Yerks would be probably really bad. <laughs> <laughs> totally. So moving on to Worlds Collide. Well, I don't know if I would say this is, well, I want to say this is the best diss for me because of the fact that you can obviously argue that Coda is the best, but this is where I felt like Dis had a really nice balance to some of the stuff you had seen. And you really got to see like some some nice card combinations come out. I feel like what we just talked about was kind of rectified here in a way where you actually saw an abundance of things you wanted to see more and less of the random stuff. Uh, things I didn't care for that existed in this set were any of the Banes. I yeah, felt those, those were just mm. were just like it's like here's an ember pip and maybe one out of ten times you're gonna get to actually destroy one of those creatures or you were stuck with like oh I actually can't play this because I have this creature type on the battlefield and it's only on my side of the board like I felt like that was a very real thing that existed um, the thing that I absolutely loved the most about having dis in worlds collide was the introduction of Lord Invidious. That's mm-hmm. how I'm going to start this off of why I love Dis and Worlds Collide. A turn one Lord Invidious completely disrupted what your opponent was planning. They could have had this sick four card turn they're about to do, and you drop Lord Invidious, and suddenly it now goes all hands on deck. We need to destroy this creature before like my creature just gets stolen. And I've had games with a deck where when I drop Lord Invidious turn one, you can just win because you're stealing. Like the attrition of taking your opponent's creatures is so great. So for me, this is my favorite leader just because of the disruption that it does. I don't think it provides the best opportunity right off the bat, but unanswered even for one turn creates a problem that sometimes your opponents can't get away from. And if you pair it with things like the Bornets, so Bornets Touch and Bornet, where you can actually start looking at your opponent's deck and seeing, oh, here comes some removal. Let's just discard that so now you don't have the opportunity to get rid of this. You just create these further issues. This also um, set came out with some really interesting concept, which we had seen 
a little bit, but not to the extent that happened once Worlds Collide happened. And that was the purge mechanic really coming into play, which was quite interesting. You had Buzzle, which purged your own creatures. And then, of course, everyone's favorite card pretty much in the game to abuse, Infernus. Mm-hmm. Infernus Hysteria. Infernus is one of those cards that it is the staple of the meta if you're playing disc. Like you would expect someone to be rocking a good disc deck that had Infernus. It's the, the epitome ability- of fear inducing. Yes. I mean, it was a combo wrecker. You could have people with their their Genka decks and suddenly you play an Infernus and take one of the pieces out of play. Boom, you just neutered that deck like quite aggressively. You even had Inspector come in, which purges a random card. Like how many times do you see Inspector and you go, Oh my goodness, please don't don't do it right now. I can't afford to lose a card in my hand. Like those moments were were very real. I think that the and- amber control that Infernus gave was also like like a lot of times the best part of it because like sometimes you yeah. didn't have options of what good things to get rid of but you could take them off a key yes this is true the ember control factor could not be uh overstated and then i think one of my favorite board clears in the game is harbinger of doom mm-hmm. because of the fact that it's gonna it's a creature on the board that can be wiped and there's a lot of synergistic things that could play into this uh, the first one is harvest time Actually, you know what? I'm going to come back to Harvest Time because there's so much to be said about that card. There was Hecatomb, <laughs> so you could destroy each disc creature, and which so destroying your card, your disc creatures would actually cause your opponent's creatures to get destroyed. Gleeful Mayhem would trigger it. You even had the fun thing card of Bloodshard Imp, which you didn't really care for in AOA, but suddenly now you have a little bit of value inside the Worlds Collide era. So that was always uh, really fun. And then, of course, let's talk about Harvest Time. So it says, choose a trait, purge each card with that trait. Each player gains one ember for each card they controlled that was purged this way. Going back into the purge, I think this card is one of the most interesting created cards because of the trait factor. It always eludes me to consider this as artifact control, but it is one of the best Mm. artifact control or almost like a Swiss army card because you can just decide what is your problem and deal with it. Or be like, you know what? I'll just get rid of all my creatures on the board with this trait because I actually have five or six. So I'm going to get a really nice burst that way. It just provides really interesting choices to be made that will allow you to to just do whatever the situation calls for. And I always love that about Harvest Time. And I forget about that as artifact control sometimes when I look at deck lists. You know what one of my favorite things to do in Worlds Collide Dis is? It's E on the fringes, baby. <laughs> yeah, I'm saving that one for you. Yeah, that's I know that's one of your favorites is the E on the fringe. Well, I mean, if we if we look at E, like the the number of creatures that I think are kind of like medium value, like I'm not talking about things that I think are actively bad. Like I I actively think Greater Oxtet is bad. Um, I think that, uh, you know, there's a lot of sort of medium, like they're okay, but I wouldn't go out of my way. Like I'm not excited about them creatures like Lilithal and Malison and, you know, Snag and stuff like that. Uh, Snag, Snaglet's cool though. I like Snaglet, but like the ability to just sort of like throw those non, like not good or not great or not game impacting disc creatures out and steal and thin your deck at the same time is ludicrous. Yeah, um, it's, it's E on the really fringes nice. decks is that that work and that hum well, especially in counter games where your opponent also has discards in their deck. Uh, mm-hmm. You can do lots of really nasty, abusive things with it. 
I'm going to throw out Buzzle as as something with like a little bit of new flair that I absolutely loved because when sometimes you just needed your side of the board to do work and whatever that was, Buzzle could do like he could do it on play. So like yeah. there there was a little bit of of really exciting newness to that card. Yeah, totally. And then just want to talk about some of the artifacts that came. Uh, you mentioned like Snag's Mirror was a really interesting card and Snag itself. Like this, this was again, they're trying to figure out how to make control the weak work and not be just a card that you can play and have such a strong effect. Because we saw in the previous set AOA Tesmal come, which obviously was considered still too powerful because they decided to remove that in this set. But then they introduced the Snag and Snag's Mirror to try and just make this. And I mean, Snag's Mirror can be a really annoying card, like extremely annoying card uh, if played properly. But I think the artifact that everyone absolutely loves from this set is Obsidian Forge. The first oh, time yeah. we're seeing yep. a key cheat in here. And then you have such great pairings with it, like the Soul Snatcher Obsidian Forge combo I know is a, a deck archetype that does exist. And then when you have cards like Lord Invidious as well as the fantastic color of subordination you just have ways to add fuel to that fire to make obsidian forge goes off and the coolest thing about this card is it's not like it surprises you you as the opponent see the <laughs> card can see a board and just be like i'm in trouble right now like if i don't deal with this board i lose like it creates like this looming basically giant of a problem in front of you that you can see which i feel like is such a great disflavor because it's supposed to be like the scary thing that that you know that that's there and this is like it's scary it's there you can see it and can you deal with it like it's a, it's a really fun fun artifact and key cheat i i love it as a key cheat on the dl um i, I use this in one of my quixel decks to actually kill down my board so that my mm. opponent can't play more creatures like i'll play a bunch of play a bunch of creatures like with play effects and stuff and then I will use Obsidian Forge to just like nuke my own board so my opponent can't play creatures. It's a lot of fun. Oh, that is great. That makes a lot of sense. Because you can destroy any number of friendly creatures. You don't have to any do number. it. And it's, it only gets destroyed if uh, if you forge the key. So That's fantastic. Yeah. So on to mass mutations now. So I don't have a really strong take on Mass Mutation Dis. I don't remember it being one of my favorites. I think that there's definitely some interesting creatures in it. Um, the sins are interesting depending on like how many sins you get um, and which ones you get. They can be pretty great. But I didn't find them to be like – they were kind of hyped up before the release of the set and then didn't really – totally like amount to much and there's a lot of kind of like so-so procedural cards like the fiends where i'm like okay you know destroyed steel one is fine except for the fact that you know that's that's not a huge thing at the end of the day um and as know, far as I enhancements also, go there weren't there weren't too many and a lot of them were damage and i feel like damage it's it is kind of the feel of dis but it wasn't enough for me to make it epic yeah I agree. Um, I, I did really like the fact that uh, Eaton's Jar and Essence Scale were artifacts in this set. Um, I thought that there was a lot that you could get out of those both. Eaton's Jar, because it allowed you, if you especially if you got it early, just look at your opponent's deck list and go, fine, um, they're not allowed to put out their Dark Amber Vault. Can't happen now. 
just can't be yeah. played period or if they have like that's a that's a combo killer right there if you have done your research on your opponent's deck before the game starts and essence scale i thought that you just get a ton of value out of destroying your own creatures and then using other creatures if you had the right creatures on the board it's my absolute favorite essence scales in my most fun deck i think that i like playing granted there's three of them but i i do i do enjoy that card a lot it, it creates that kind of star alliance house cheating feel without being in star alliance and you also have the benefit of so many destroyed triggers that are very potent in this set so that you mm -hmm. get to actually utilize those triggers on your choice like you're choosing okay this is happening because i want it to happen not because my opponent's triggering it when they want it to happen mm -hmm. and i always found that to be a really fun thing and then you also have Pale Star, which I think is just a really interesting card because it's an Omni. And for those not familiar, it's destroy the Pale Star for the remainder of the turn. Each creature is considered to have one power and zero armor. It's it's just such an interesting kind of like, let's level the playing field sort of vibe. And there's obviously some combos that can go off with it. Crosshouse, and then you also have things like the dark minion which can then just wipe the board on your opponent's side because it's going to be destroyed deal one damage to each enemy creature gotta give a shout out to the upgrade pain mail because i actually really oh, really yeah. like this card in a when you're facing someone who also has dis because it it reads as creature gains after any player chooses dis as their active house put pain mail into its owner's archives and destroy this creature and so you can strategically kill your opponent's creatures and keep getting it back and on top of that it has an amber pip so each time that you play it it also gets um, it gives you an amber. So I have a couple of decks that when I play those decks, I really want to see this in my opening hand. I, I might mulligan just to get this card because even if I put it on one of my own creatures, like you said, there are a lot of destroyed abilities that really combo well with this. Mm -hmm. I also thought that they finally figured out how to get Arise properly because Grim Reminder and then you also have the Stirring Gray, which is a more targeted version is allowing you to recur things but you don't get it right away you got to wait so you ha you could plan to have a big turn following but you couldn't just like abuse your own board by like destroying everything and being like going kamikaze into things and then getting them all back and playing them again and i thought it was they landed correctly because it, it never felt unfair it always just feels like it plays the way it should and it's fantastic i absolutely love it and i mean not to mention the fact that Grim Reminder, they decided, you know what, maybe we shouldn't put an Ember Pip on this one. <laughs> <laughs> Mark of Dis, finally control the week done right. Yeah. I all really like these, that card. All of these these done rights is, is really just taking the power level down to an acceptable level where it isn't like the, the run of the game, you know, where it's basically on par with other things and fits well into a deck instead of being the card that everybody wants to see when they open that house. Yeah, that's a, that's a very good way of putting it, Sydney. So we've actually seen an entire set without Dis in it in the form of Dark Tidings. And I don't know that I necessarily feel like um, what was in Dis was entirely missing from that set. I think you got different kinds of disruption with the Unfathomable than you would have seen from Dis specifically if they had been in that set, but kind of some similar feels in that. Um, if they come back in future, I'd really like to see more of what we were just talking about. I feel like taking things that were really good and cool and powerful in DIS and just looking at them from the perspective of what makes these 
still interesting and still cool and still good to play, but brings their power level down to an area where it doesn't feel unfair, where you don't go those feel-bad moments. And God knows, between Restoring Guntus and Infernus and Arise and so many other cards, there's been E on the fringes even. People have like a lot of sort of just like feels-bad moments when it comes to this. And I think that they've done a, a fairly good job uh, especially in the design of, of uh, mass mutation and kind of trying to redress that somewhat. I'd like to see them continue to do that. Dis, but m- less unfair, for lack of a better way to put it, perhaps. That's a great way to put it. The the feel-bad moment, I, I honestly wasn't super upset to see Dis leave because I feel like the feel-bad moments are more concentrated in Dis than any other house. And it's it's not necessarily that the the disruption is or control is a bad thing. It's just simply that when those came up, they were ways to make a game stop in its tracks where the opponent just didn't get to do anything or didn't get to do what they're what they were that deck was made to do. So it really hurts the actual play of the game. It wasn't a fun, like casual game to play when it came to those more powerful cards. So I feel like when it comes back, if if it's possible to continue keeping that level of power, but also subtract the feel bad moments. So ways in which people can get out of the situation that this puts you in, I think that that would be a, a good return for the house. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, agreed. I mean, it was it's the one house that specifically targets to hinder what your opponent is doing, whereas a lot of the other houses are looking to boost what your own houses are doing. But that one is the complete opposite. It's like, how can I it's basically be a bully to my opponent is kind of the yeah. way the house plays. So we can't end an episode of Help the Future Self without the segment that we take directly from the name of the podcast. It's called Help Help from Future Self. Self. Blake, do you have one for us this week? Yeah, I do actually. So I decided to play a deck for my ABR league and I went specifically on looking at what was in the deck, some of the stats and making a call that, you know what, I feel like this deck would do exactly what I like. It has all the pieces that I feel would be good. Having never really played the deck, okay? (laughs) So I lock in the deck, I start to practice with it, and I go, oh, this deck is actually not that good. It just looks good. I'm like, yikes. Uh I'm like, I'm in trouble now. I'm like, I don't know how this is going to work. And I felt really bad. I was like, every time I'm playing it, it's not coming together. I'm like, why is this deck not working? And it made me realize sometimes when you're planning, as much as you want to just fly by the seat of your pants and be like, this deck has a good rating, has good stats, has good good cards, I want to play it. You maybe need to take a beat and play it a couple times and see how it works. I figured out why the deck didn't really work. And it's really sad because the cards in it are so fun. It just doesn't work. Is The thing I learned was that you can't have an even distribution of creatures between all your houses. I feel like you kind of need to have the one house that has a little bit more abundant in creatures or even two because that allows you to actually call that house and utilize it. When you're constantly not able to establish a board and keep with it in the game that we're playing nowadays, I find it does hinder you just a little bit. And so my lesson that I learned was that I should probably play my decks before just committing to a uh, important <laughs> game with them. <laughs> An absolutely excellent lesson to take away. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at HFFS Podcast. You can find me on the Crucible as Scuzzy Gruen. Sydney, where can they find you? 
I am SC Steel on TCO and Discord. All right. And Blake, where can they find you? What do you got going on? You can find me on Discord Boulevard Blake number sign 3840 if you want to have a chat. And then my YouTube is back up. I've started the new year with the key thoughts, and I'm going to be doing some new content this year. I think I'm going to focus a lot and maybe doing some interviews this year and getting other people involved on my channel. So stay tuned for that. Exciting. Very cool. We'll be back at you again next week with another episode of your favorite Keyforge podcast. Until then, stay fortunate.